I've enjoyed this series so far. It's really uh, spoke to me as I've just been preparing and, and giving these messages. And it's really uh, just uh, made me take a look at my life and just how God has transformed my life. Well, how many of you this morning, you like uh, all things to do with celebrities? Ah, uh, you bunch of liars. I know you are. <laughs> so, like, I know you watch those trashy shows, you know, Entertainment Tonight, Inside Edition, all that sort of stuff. And there's even trashier ones like TMZ and all that stuff. And uh, you may even, like, get People Magazine and National Enquirer if you really want to, like, read a lie. Uh, or you may read some blogs and stuff like that. But when you see these, uh, all these things about celebrities, uh, often you'll see pictures of certain celebrities and they're not the greatest pictures at all. And underneath, or, or maybe the, the title at the top, you'll see it and it'll say, The Walk of Shame. Uh, and what, what it basically means, it, it's, uh, it's the morning after, and uh, some of these celebrities, they are walking home to their actual home uh, after a night that maybe they have regretted, a night of dishonor, a night where they've maybe uh, dropped their values or they slipped their standards. And you see these celebrities in these pictures, uh, they're, they're trying to fool people and they're trying to hide, like they'll put a hoodie on, like people like won't recognize them if they got a hoodie on. Uh, you know, they'll try to cover themselves, like try to get out of a building into a car uh, immediately. But they call it the walk of shame. And uh, now the walk of shame didn't actually start with celebrities. Uh, it actually started in the colleges uh, of the United States, where uh, there would be things that would happen that girls actually would walk home after uh, doing things that maybe they shouldn't have been doing the night before. And their friends would call it the walk of shame. And last year, there was a company called Nine West. Now, for you guys here this morning, Nine West are shoes and handbags. And yeah, I'm in touch with my feminine side. You know, I know these things. And uh, they did a commercial, and uh, it was basically making fun of the walk of shame. And there was a lot of controversy with it and stuff. Well, I hope this morning that uh, you guys here at Generation Church, you are wise enough and uh, you've got high enough values that uh, uh, that maybe this morning you didn't walk to church doing the walk of shame. Uh, I, I hope so this morning. But I wonder how many of us walked in here this morning walking the spiritual walk of shame. Uh, things going on in your lives, uh, that moment uh, maybe in your day, that moment in your life when you start to beat yourself up for uh, letting yourself uh, down, letting others down, and ultimately letting God down. You know, those things in your hearts where, where, where you've acted or thought in a wrong way. Maybe you've said something that you've regretted, and now you've got shame because of it. And this morning we're going to be discussing the topic of shame. And before we do that, I want to give you just a quick definition of what shame is. Uh, And the word shame means a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong behavior. Let me repeat that because I know that's kind of hard to swallow. The word shame means a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong behavior. And I wonder this morning, in this place, how many people are dealing with shame? 
How many of you, you've got things in your life that you feel shame about and you are dealing with shame? Now, if I was here this morning, I could read your mind. Now, I can't, you know, I like, don't have any special abilities and I don't really want to read some of your minds either. But if I could read your mind and I could tell you everything that you've ever done in your life, I wonder how many of you would feel shame for certain things that have gone on in your life. Well, this morning we're going to discuss a story of a woman who met a man and the man told her everything that she had ever done and that woman had a lot of shameful things that happened in her life. And through this encounter, this woman met this man and the man's name is Jesus Christ. And through this encounter with Jesus Christ, she was transformed so that her shame no longer was part of her life at all. So this morning, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. And we're going to start reading at verse 4. And this is what it says. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village called Sychar, near the village that Jacob gave his son Joseph uh, gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now let me just, before we continue, just give a little background into the culture at the time where, when Jesus lived. Now Jesus was on a journey and he had to go through a, uh, an area called Samaria and through a town that was a Samaritan town. Now many of you may have heard of the word Samaritan. We've heard of the story of the Good Samaritan. And a couple of weeks ago, our youth here at Generation Church, they put a bunch of shoeboxes together for an organization called Samaritan's Purse. And they were to give those shoeboxes and they gave them to kids in Asia, Africa, and and Central and South America. But Samaritans, just to give you a little background of Samaritans, Samaritans were people of mixed race. They were half Jewish and half Assyrian. Now, back in the day, way before Jesus came, Jesus gave this command to the Jews that you are not to intermarry with the other nations around you. Not because Jesus was against intermarrying or, or, or mixed race. It was because the other nations around, they would, would lead the people away from God because they worshipped all these other religions. And Jesus knew that. But there was a bunch of, of Jewish ladies who looked at some hunky Assyrian men and they were like, mm, I like what I see. And they got together and through that, their offspring became the Samaritans and they lived in the area of Samaria. Now, let me just let you t- to tell you a little bit. So the Jewish people did not recognize the Jewish blood in the Samaritans. In fact, the Jewish people thought the Samaritans were unclean people. They had nothing to do with them at all. You could not be a friend uh, with a Samaritan if you were a Jewish man. Now, Jewish men could do business with a, with a Samaritan man, but the Jewish man was always superior over the Samaritan man. However, 
a Jewish man was to never talk or be alone with a Samaritan woman. They were the lowest of the lows. Sorry, ladies. I'm glad times have changed, right? In this encounter, Jesus, he goes to this village, and the first thing he does, he's thirsty, so he goes to the well. The well was the center of the village. It was where everything happened. They put the well right in the town court where the center was like downtown, you know, like downtown Bel Air, like what downtown Bel Air there is, but we call it downtown Bel Air. But it's like you you, you, you put a well right there and Jesus went right there and Jesus wanted something to drink. And in that moment, Jesus broke so many Jewish customs and rules. It was unbelievable. Firstly, Jesus was alone with a Samaritan woman. You weren't allowed to do that. Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. You were not allowed to do that. Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink. A Samaritan woman was not allowed to serve a Jewish man. In that moment, Jesus broke so many customs and rules, and that was so Jesus. Because Jesus isn't concerned about the rules of man. He's concerned about life change. And that's what Jesus is concerned about. He doesn't care about what rules you have. He cares about if your life is being changed at all. And so in this moment, in this encounter, we see a lot of things about shame. And so I want to share them with you this morning. And the first thing is this, is that shame will isolate you. Shame will isolate you. So at this point in the story, we do not know anything about this woman. We don't know about this woman's story at all. We don't know what she's done in the past. But we do know that there is something wrong. See, the well was the social place of the village. If you wanted the latest gossip in the village, you went to the well. It, it, the, the, the kids at school, they would like be texting each other, hey, meet you at the well after school. You know, on a Friday night, you know, they're calling your friends and they'll be like, hey, I'll meet you at the well. People who hooked up on eHarmony would go to the well because that's where they would meet each other. And we've had people in our church who met on eHarmony and they got married as well. Isn't that wonderful? It works. eHarmony works, people. You know, if you wanted to do anything, if you wanted to meet friends, meet people, you would go to the well. And there would be two times in the day that you would go to the well. The first time would be in the morning before the sun has really come up. And the second time would be in the evening when the sun is setting. Now think about this for a moment. You wouldn't want to go to the well in the middle of the day because you would have to go with a big water jug, a big container. You'd have to get the water and then you'd have to carry all that water back to your house. Now, in that culture, it was really hot. And much hotter than our summers that we have here right, right here in Mount. Now there is a term that I grew up knowing. And the term is this. Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. See, us here in America, we understand that in the summer, we're going to get lots of days of 90 degrees, and we will not go out when it's hottest, right? We want to stay in a nice, cool air conditioner. We'll go out in the evening. But English people are so different, because English people never see the sun at all. So when the sun comes, it's like the English people are out there. It's like, yeah, the sun, we see the sun. And the only people that go out in the midday sun are Englishmen and mad, crazy dogs. That's it. But yet this woman, knowing that nobody went out in the middle of the day, this is when she went to the well. This is when the Bible tells us it was noontime when nobody else was around that she went to the well and she met Jesus. 
Now, how many of you like going to the mall? Okay, just a few of you. And I don't blame you because I hate the mall. I love to shop, but I hate the mall. And the worst time to go to the mall is on a Saturday afternoon, right? You can never find a parking space, and you go there, and there's people everywhere. There's all these kids who are just hanging out at the mall because they think it's cool to hang out at the mall. You've got, you got mothers with, with, their, with their strollers, like, like barging through everybody, like everybody give way to me, you know? And I've become one of those dads now. It's like everyone give way to me with, with, with our stroller. And, and, and I hate it because you know, there's long lines. You go to the store, there's stuff everywhere. The, the best time to go to the mall is Monday morning. Monday morning, nobody else is there. For you guys, you love it because you know exactly what you want. You're in and out and back in your car in five minutes. It's like the perfect trip to the mall. See, if you don't want to be around people, you don't go to the mall on a Saturday afternoon, you go on a Monday morning. And if you didn't want to meet people at the well, you went at noon in the day, you didn't go in the morning or the evening. And this is what this woman did. See, we don't know much about this woman's story, but let me tell you, this woman has a lot of shame. And what shame will do to you, shame will isolate you. Shame isolates people. So that people withdraw. It's like having a child and you tell that child off. What's the first thing that child does? It like, it cries and it covers its face or it hides in the corner, you know, or it puts, it, it puts the covers over them because they don't want anybody else to see them. Because you want to be just by yourself when you have shame because shame isolates you. And when you have regrets and dishonor, the worst place that you can find yourself is is in isolation. For it's in isolation that shame breeds and multiplies. See, back in 2005, 2006, 2007, we uh, uh, were out, we lived out in Missouri, and we were on staff at a church out there. And uh, uh, my wife led worship at uh, the church we were at. And on our band, we had this, this, this girl who uh, had a little bit of shame. She had some things in her past that she was ashamed about. And some of the other people in the band, that they, they, they knew about it and they were trying to help her. But the more that she thought about her shame, the more she started to isolate herself. She started to step back. See, she didn't want other people knowing her business all that she did. And so she stepped off the worship team. She stopped receiving calls from people. She stopped calling people. She stopped having people at her house. She stopped going to other people's houses when they, were, they invited her. And see what happened, shame started to isolate her because she was ashamed about things that she did. She wanted to withdraw from people. But the problem is shame breeds and multiplies in isolation. And so for this girl... The more she started to step back, she started to just go to work, come home, and just be in a house. But shame needs comfort. And so she started finding comfort in alcohol. And she started drinking more and more and more and more. To a point that she started becoming ashamed of her alcohol consumption. And then what happened is as she started becoming more ashamed, she started going more into herself and she stopped keeping her house in a good way. And her house started getting messy and in the end she became ashamed to have anybody over at her house. 
She had all these friends, and in the matter of months, she just totally isolated herself. Because that's what shame will do. Shame will isolate you. The second thing that shame will also do as well is shame makes you thirsty. Shame makes you thirsty. Look at this, John chapter 4, verses 10. Jesus replied to this woman after she said, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water from? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. So this woman has shame. We're not sure about the shame yet. But what we know is that this woman wants to get rid of her shame. Who wouldn't? Anyone who has suffered the pain of shame wants that pain to be removed. And she hears that Jesus has something called living water. Like special water, smart water almost, you know, a little better than smart water. I don't like that smart water anyway. It's a waste of money. But she hears that Jesus has living water and the living water will never make you thirsty again and immediately she wants it. Because this woman, if she had water that would never make her thirsty again, there would never be a reason why she would have to come to the well ever again. She would never have to worry about bumping into somebody else. Never have to worry about what other people are saying about her. She could come into isolation and she would be fine. See, this is what shame does. Shame starts to breed paranoia and insecurity in your lives. And the more shame you have, the more paranoid and insecure you become. I wonder how many times that maybe you've looked back in regret of a moment and you wanted that moment back. I know in my life that there was times that I did things in my late teens and early 20s that I just want back. I I know for me that there, there, there were things that I did and to cover them up, I did other shameful things so that other people wouldn't find out what I did in the first place. See, when you are suffering with shame, you become thirsty to get rid of that shame. See, this woman did not enjoy her life, and a way out was so attractive for her. See, shame is like this. It's like getting a bag of potato chips, extra salted potato chips. And you go in, you eat the first chip. It tastes so good. So good. But halfway through that bag of chips, suddenly... The salt is overpowering. And then you spend the next several hours just keep drinking water, trying to wash away the salt. 
trying to wash away that, that feeling that you had. Yeah, the first trip was so good, but really was it worth, worth it after all? And that's what shame does. It's like it tries to cover again and again, trying to cover so that that feeling that you first had can be gone because shame leaves you thirsty. Shame makes you isolated. Shame leaves you thirsty. And then finally, shame, or sorry, third, shame leaves you vulnerable. Shame leaves you vulnerable. Look at this. John chapter 4, verses 16. So this woman is wanting this living water. And Jesus says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerzimon, where our ancestors worshipped? There is something powerful about shame. And it's this, even though it is painful, it makes you want to go back for more and more and more. So this woman had got married. And for whatever reason, her marriage ended in divorce. Whether it was her fault or his fault, it didn't matter because back in that culture, it was always the woman's fault. Sorry, ladies. And the shame was not on the man, the shame was on the woman. This woman, like today, divorce is common. Back in those days, divorce was not common. If you were divorced, you had a stamp of shame on your forehead. And this woman walked around with shame. And so instead of dealing with her shame, do you know what she did? She tried to cover her shame by going out and finding another man and getting married again. But the problem is she didn't deal with her shame. So she brought her shame into her second marriage. And do you know what happened to her second marriage? It ended in divorce. More shame. More dishonor for this woman. So this woman, she had a shame from her first marriage. Now shame from her second marriage. And instead of dealing with her shame, she now decided to go and find another man. And now she brought all that shame into her third marriage. And that marriage ended in divorce. More shame, more dishonor. Eventually she married five guys. Not the burgers, but five men. And they all ended in divorce. And now the guy she's living with isn't even her husband. Why? Because at the end of five marriages, she's thinking, well, this marriage thing isn't, is pointless. What's the point in getting married and getting divorced and having the shame? I might as well just have a guy just living with me. And back in that culture, like in our culture, people don't turn a blind, turn a blind eye. They don't think anything if people live together before marriage. But in that culture... And through the laws that God had, had commanded these people, it was a shameful thing to live together outside of marriage. This woman had so much shame. 
See, what happens if you don't deal with shame? And let me just tell you, married people, if you don't deal with things in the beginning, they're going to come back and haunt you. Just because one marriage may not work, it doesn't mean that you're just going to jump into another marriage and it's going to work. Because if you don't deal with things, then that shame will keep coming back again and again and again. See, the easiest target for shame is people who are already suffering from shame. They try to cover their shame with other things and they keep falling deeper and deeper into the pit of shame. And I love what this woman does. Have you noticed this woman, Jesus confronts her kind of marriage situation and immediately she tries to change the subject. She tries to make it like a theological argument with Jesus. Like who would argue theology with Jesus? And us Christians, I'm going to be honest, we're just like this. We have so much stuff that we need to deal with in our lives. We've got shame that we need to deal with, but yet we try to slide it under the carpet and instead we talk about things that really don't even matter. Like, am I once saved, always saved, or can I lose my salvation? Uh, Is there going to be a tribulation before Jesus comes or after he comes? And we talk about stuff that really doesn't matter at all when we've got stuff that we're dealing with. And this is what this woman did. See, shame will leave you vulnerable. See, the quicker you are honest about your shame, the quicker you can deal with it, and the quicker you can overcome it, and the quicker you can start living the purposes that God has for you. So shame isolates, shame makes you thirsty, shame leaves you vulnerable, and finally this morning, the good news is this. Jesus heals shame. Jesus heals shame. John chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, that argument doesn't matter. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Then verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Skip down to verse 28. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So people came streaming from the village to see him. And we'll jump down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. So he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard from him ourselves now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world the transformation in this woman 
is astounding. In this moment, she meets Jesus. And immediately, her shame starts to lose its power. Notice the first thing that she did. She came out of isolation, and she ran into the village, and she told everybody about Jesus. Shame lost its power. She suddenly, instead of becoming thirsty to cover her shame, she became excited about Jesus. Then, she started telling everybody about all that she had done. Because she no longer had to cover it because Jesus had healed her shame. See, the people in the village, they were amazed at her transformation. For the shameful woman had now become a shameless follower of Jesus Christ. And because of the transformation in this woman's life, not only was her soul transformed, but the soul of many in that village was transformed. Why? Because Jesus heals shame. And if you've got shame this morning in your life, I, you, I believe God has brought you into this place today for me to tell you that Jesus heals your shame. Your shame of lust, your shame of pornography, your shame of infidelity, your shame of maybe an addiction, your shame of abuses that have happened in the past or are still happening right now, your shame of emotional things that are going on, maybe your shame of your anger or shame of your jealousy, shame of a, a broken marriage or a broken home. God is here today to tell you that Jesus heals your shame. For where Jesus is, shame has no power at all. It can no longer isolate us. It no longer makes us feel paranoid or insecure. You are no longer vulnerable. And you start to become thirsty for the things of God. Because Jesus has healed your shame. I want to leave you this morning with the words of the Apostle Paul. He said this in Romans chapter 8. So now. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Let me tell you today, the power of the life-giving Spirit of Jesus has freed you from the power of shame. Verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. 
Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death or even if we have shame? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37 says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is yours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I'm here today that no matter what your shame is, if you belong to Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no one who can condemn you for Jesus Christ has given his life for you and he has taken away your shame and your guilt and your sin and no longer do you have to worry about what others say about what others think for there is a father in heaven who looks down on you and he sees a spotless perfect man or woman there is no condemnation I don't know about you, but there's things in my life that I should have been condemned at. There's things in my life that I know that if I'd let, shame would have overcome me. I would have gone into isolation. I would have become so thirsty just to do worse things after worse things. I would have become so vulnerable. But Jesus Christ came into my life and He healed me of my shame. And if that Jesus who that one day went to that Samaritan village and he met a woman who had been divorced five times and now is shacked up with a guy who wasn't even her husband. If he can heal her of her shame, then he can heal you of your shame. For there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer.